So we're making some changes on Wednesday nights here. Um, I've taught on the book of Revelation for a couple of years, finally finished. And I'll be referring to some of that along and along. But um, one thing we want to start doing is help people flesh out what I'll talk about on Sunday morning. So I'd like to take the theme of Sunday morning. I've already got something planned for this coming Sunday. And uh, I'd like to help you flesh that out. That is, put shoe leather on it and live it out in your life. So it's one thing for me to teach it and preach. It's another thing for us to translate it into, okay, how do I do that on Monday? How do I do that on Tuesday afternoon when I'm not doing well? I'm not feeling good. How do you do that? So Wednesday night, we're going to help you do that with some uh, interaction and some questions and that kind of thing. So we're going to start with that tonight. Is that all right? So uh, anyway, we're going to start and see how that goes. We'll also have a Wednesday night, first Wednesday night, we worship and uh, we have communion and water baptism every other month. And uh, so that's always dedicated to that. The fourth uh, Wednesday, I would like to do some teaching on disciples. Really, uh, deci- being a discipler and a leader are parallel. So if you're a disciple, you're leading other people to, to be the best they can be in God. And you're pushing mediocrity out of your life. How many would like to be that kind of person? So if you're a person that's just stagnant, sated, satisfied, still, inert, <laughs> you won't like what we got to say the fourth. But come because it might stir your soul. Is that all right? Good. So anyway, uh, the, first, the one's in the middle, and we may mix it up and do it different. Who knows? Uh, we're going to commit to talking about Sunday morning, how to flesh it out. So Mira, come. How about give Mira a hand? All right. So they're going to ask me questions. I'm going to respond. I have no idea what they're going to say. So we'll moderate this, and we're putting Pastor Mitch on a timer. Okay, oh, really? Ready? Okay, good. So Yay. at least two minutes for a question, no more. And we're going to buzz them out. Okay. Um, how to practically apply what we're learning on Sunday. So here's where we're headed. First question up. If God is omnipresent, then what is so special about being in the presence of God? Uh, you know, God is, uh, he, he transcends creation. So that means he created the entire universe. It, you can't even think about it this way. You can't, is that me or uh, what is that? Is that me? Uh, you can't think that way. He, he lives outside of creation. But he lives in creation, and the Holy Spirit lives in you. Now, what's the question again? What is so special about being yeah, the, in the presence. presence of God? However, sometimes God, um, what's a good word to you? Uh, sometimes God concentrates zones of his presence. And what you'll find Old Testament, New Testament, there are concentrated zones of God's presence where God's people gather together in worship, when they're in unity, when they're in one accord, and and there's not a devil in hell that can stand against it, and it empowers believers with a supernatural um, uh, effacence from heaven that stirs you up and keeps you motivated. And you can do that in prayer, privately. That's the reason I get up every morning of my life. I read the word, then I pray and I seek God and that presence comes. Sometimes it's more tangible than others and you'll find a larger, uh, stronger sense of that, of that zoned in presence when we're together and we need it. That's the reason said in Hebrews 10, uh, do it, uh, get together so much the more as you see the day of Jesus coming back approaching, right? That's two minutes. Just a personal way to. Yes. Okay. Oh, one minute. I mean, I, oh, you mean I have 40 seconds left? No, you're good. You're good. Uh, I can add more. So here's another part to that. What does it mean to be in the presence of God? Uh, what it means to be in the presence of God means you clear your mind. 
You cannot be in the presence of God without your mind being engaged. And, and, and the, the quieter you can get your physical person, the better you can be. Um, I pray in traffic, but I better be att- paying attention to the cars around me or somebody's going to be towing me off, right? So, you know, um, so, so uh, practically you, you t- hone your mind in. For me, if I can get still enough and quiet enough, I can hear God. And, and for me, if I can get my mind, for me, when I pray, I put my mind on things above. That as I envision, I'm right before the throne of God and he's listening intently to what I'm saying. I started this as an 18-year-old uh, when I first came to the Lord just to crowd out the distractions. Um, and in fact, I started it at, at church. I would shut my eyes and sing in, in that little charismatic church where I started out as an 18-year-old. And, uh, but I, I, to crowd everything out, I just closed my eyes and envisioned myself before the throne of God. I started singing and the presence would come. So, so the more you can, you can focus on him, uh, the, the stronger you'll see the sense of that presence. And then you can learn to do it with your eyes open. And then you can learn to do it while you're talking with people. Then you can learn to do it while you're driving. And then you can learn to do it while you're working. And you can learn to hear God while you're going through, tooling through your day, you know, looking at all the figures, making all the sales, making all the phone calls, because you have a constant communion with the Holy One. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. Does that make sense? All right. How do I know that I am in the presence of God? Some people say the presence of God makes them feel a certain way, like honey, like oil. I have not felt this. I believe in Jesus. I have accepted him as Lord. I have the Holy Spirit. Is something wrong that I do not feel what others feel? No, there's nothing wrong. Number one, uh, if you try to put feelings first, you lose out completely. Second uh, Corinthians five seven says we walk by faith and not by sight. Second Corinthians four eighteen while we look not at the things which are seen or felt, but the things that are not seen and not felt. Things that are seen are temporary. Things that are not seen are eternal. Uh, Jesus said to Thomas, uh, "Reach hither, you," because Thomas said, "Unless I can look and see, I won't believe you." Raised from the dead. Let me see the holes in your hands and feet. And Jesus said, reach hither your hand, that's King James Version, and behold my hand and, 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 and reach forth your hand and touch my side, be not faithless, but believing. And then Jesus said, blessed are they that have not seen, yet do believe. So the number one thing for the presence of God in your life, you just gotta believe the word. God will cut off any feeling if you're trusting feelings. You have to walk by faith. But if, you'll, if we'll learn to walk by faith and not by feelings, you will have times if you hone into the presence of God in prayer. Now, I'm baptized with the Holy Spirit. I've been praying in the Spirit uh, for 45 years now. And that is a tremendous open door uh, into some, some really intimate times with God the Father and with the Lord Jesus and with the Holy Spirit. And that kind of helps bring that presence on you. If you're here and you haven't received the baptism with the Holy Spirit, the Acts 2-4 way, that's a real open door. Without that, you'll get there, but it'll just be a lot longer and take a lot more effort. This makes it easier because it opens the door. Does that make sense? Got a lot of explanation there. could do, but she gave me two minutes and I'm done. You're doing really good. How do you know when to speak up and not cast your pearls? 
So Jesus said, don't cast your pearls before swine. Or he could have said, uh, don't give people your spiritual wisdom if they don't want to hear anything you've got to say. So, um, you know, Proverbs says, don't speak in the ears of a fool because he will despise the wisdom of your word. So a person that's full of ridicule is a person that's full of themselves. And a person who has a constant retort for everything you say and the person who... who um, who just has this aura about them? Well, I'm the smartest in person in the room. You can't teach me anything. Generally, the Lord won't have me say a word to them. I just smile at them and love them because God's gonna have to do something. If they don't humble themselves, they'll need to be humbled before they can receive from the Lord. So, you know, so, so then that, what Jesus said, don't cast your pearls before swine. That is, you know, don't take your holy things that the Lord has shared with you and share them to, to someone who doesn't wanna listen. So like the drunk man that was in the cabana Monday a week ago, uh, you know, he was talking, everybody was his friend and I just kind of looked at him because, you know, he needed to come into Jesus moment, but he needed to sober up. And if the Lord had led me, I'd spoke to him, but he didn't. That's probably why. Go ahead. Does that make sense? How many minutes was that? A minute and 28 seconds. Oh, man, I can go longer. We'll nope. just. I'm having to hit reset on this thing. Nope. So. Huh? <laughs> okay. Carry over my time. Uh, yeah, that's good. Yeah, this is really good. How to respond to the presence of God when we are together. How do we experience what has happened on Sunday during first service while we are together when we go home and walk it out the rest of the week okay, by so, ourselves? Okay, so, you know. Prepare yourself, you know, for me, for years now, when I was, when I was young, um, I wasn't a pastor. I, was a, uh, I actually started Bible school in 1977. Actually, in 1976, I met my wife at night Bible school classes in 1976. And, um, but nonetheless, um, but I'd come to church, and before I came to church, I would pray, say, God, uh, use that pastor. Lord, I, I just pray for all the people helping him, the, the volunteers help them, the ministry of helps help them, help the musicians. Lord, let the atmosphere be full of you, and help me to receive something from you. And Lord, I just set my heart. Let the Holy Spirit, man, I, I need some. I need you. So if you do that kind of praying, but, and then if you got, uh, let's see, you got four, like Susan and me, but four children, all of them are saying something different all at one time on the way to church, and, and then you almost hit a dog and, and, and then there's a cow that got out of a, out of a field and he's wandering down the road and you're trying to navigate or something crazy's going on and, and everybody's trying to have a conversation. You get out of the car, it's like, is my hair in straight? Do we even have any hair left? You know, did I spill coffee on my, you know, if you're a lady dress or my shirt, if you're, you know what I'm saying? So you're kind of ruffled when you come in. When you come in the door, put the kids in children's church, come and sit down or stand up. And you just close your eyes and put all of that out of your mind. In fact, right now, close your eyes. Practice. Close your eyes. Now envision Jesus sit, seated right beside God the Father in heaven. Big blue sky, aura, my goodness, a rainbow of colors. Angels around crying, holy, holy, holy. And there's God. Can you see him? There's mist all around him. The glory of his glory is manifesting. And his eyes are on you. Can't see his face. 
because no man in his human body can look at him and live. But there he is. Isn't that good? Is that good? Now look at me. See, see, that's what you do. So, so we got all these uh, lights and colors and smoke. Ignore all of that. I personally, I think that hinders us today. Uh, because you, you can, uh, listen, <laughs> I felt the presence of God as strong under a great big gnarled old oak tree in Ethiopia as I have right here, as we said in South Carolina. You get it? So if you'll hone in, it's all about, you got to f- put your mind where you want your heart to be. How many just got what I said? Put your mind where you want your heart to be. If you do that, you know, we start, then just start singing and listen to the words. Can, can I go a little bit longer? Thank you. That's awesome. So, you know, when I first came to Jesus, we sang, I, I knew almost all the hymns in the Southern, Southern Baptist hymnal in the church I attended when I was a kid. And I memorized some of the, some of the, letter, uh, the numbers of the pages because I heard them so much. Turn to page 143 and, you know, we'd sing the song. But I knew the first, second, and fourth stanza. We usually missed the third. But when I, got, when I came to Jesus and got filled with the Holy Spirit and then started singing some of these in the church I attended, I started listening to what I was singing. I mean, I got goose pimples on my goose pimples. And then I felt like my hair was about to stand up on my arms and on the back of my neck. I said, I never knew I was singing that. I, I was singing in rote and wasn't realizing what I was doing. But see if you'll just hone in with your mind on what you're singing and what you're saying and who you're singing to. You're not singing so people can think, you know, she's got a pretty good voice. He's got a pretty, no, no, you're worshiping. If you do that, you'll get there. So go ahead. Right means hush, Mitch, I get it. Okay. How do I know if I'm stagnant? What are the symptoms in life that shows that I may be lukewarm? Well, uh, so I just had a picture of, uh, of a child. One of mine did this with trash can in the room and, and they got candy wrappers all around because they missed the trash can with the, with the little lighter than air candy wrapper. So they come to supper and so it's time to eat. Right, Sarah? <laughs> and they're just kind of picking at their food, picking at their chicken, picking at their beans, picking at their mashed potatoes. You're not hungry? What stole you hungry? I don't know. Let's go down to the room. Candy wrappers. The candy of the world can get in the way. So, so hey, hey, you know, so if I'm entertaining the flesh, entertaining sin, or if, I, if I'm just not, you know, it's, it's a telltale sign. If life is more about me and me being satisfied than really seeking first the kingdom of God, you will lose your hunger for God. Or, or listen to this, or you can get, I had one time in my life in 1980, um, uh, one, two, that I get disillusioned with others and I lost my zeal for God. And I had to get it back. So sometimes other people can get in the way. You know, I'm going, if you look in, if you got me on a pedestal, I promise you I'm going to fall off somehow. Because I'm going to do something that you say, well, you didn't help me. You didn't, you know, treat me the way I thought you ought to be treated. I'll probably do that for you. And God may have me do that for you just so you can get me off of the pedestal you put me on. Or maybe you've got another staff member or another team member or another believer here. People are fallible and people make mistakes. And people don't do everything you want to do. And sometimes that can hinder 
us. And if you, and if somebody gets between you and God, they steal your spiritual hunger. Does that make sense? You got to tell you, you got to keep it clean. Oh, you might be unhappy with your spouse. You might be having a, you're having a row with your, with, with somebody in your family, uh, whatever, or a friend or somebody at work. Got to make sure there's peace on the inside. If there's not peace on the inside, it's hard to receive from the Lord. Right? I can say more, but. Sunday you mentioned Exodus 33 and God meeting with Moses face to face. Can you explain this? Yeah, Moses is on top of Mount Sinai. And see, this was a sovereign thing. If you go research the scriptures, supernatural thing. Uh, And I mentioned it Sunday, uh, Moses was sustained by the presence of God. And that tells you a lot about that supernatural presence. Uh, he didn't eat any food for 40 days. And uh, science tells you that the organs of the body begin to shut down 40 days. And usually the ones that you least need begin to shut down and then eventually you'll die of starvation. Uh, but you can't live past three or four days without water. And he didn't have either. Now think, chew on that a little while. He was sustained by the presence of God. He come down, they were, you know, the molded, the, the golden calf, worshiping the golden calf and all that mess. And, and then uh, he said, show me your glory. He wanted that presence again. So God somehow allowed Moses to be in front of him uh, face to face. Uh, and he was, uh, Moses was the friend of God. Nobody knew God like Moses. And when he came down, his, the, very, uh, the, the, the flesh on his face glowed with the glory of God. That's how strong that presence is. So see, that was an... Anomaly, not ordinary. He only used Moses to do that. Uh, you, you probably couldn't do that. That's incredible. Uh, I, let me just, uh, one time um, on a Friday night, um, you know, we're, Bible school people are sometimes crazy. And uh, I worked at the grocery store, went to Bible school, and had a Bible school friend. And uh, his brother was an insurance adjuster who lived in his brother's house. And I'd go to his house on Friday night and we'd go eat something, you know, something quick. But then we'd go to the grocery store, pull our money together. We'd go to the grocery store and fill up several bags of food, uh, staple goods, and uh, go take it to somebody needy in a needy neighborhood in town. And we did that that night and uh, had a great, we did that on Friday nights and then, you know, that was our idea of having a, having a good time on Friday night. So then we went to his house, we were sitting on his bedroom floor and we're just praying and worshiping the Lord and just praying and, uh, and y'all, I mean, the presence came in the room. I, I see, I, I can't, I don't have any words to describe what that's like, but you can't talk. Uh, you're afraid to move. And, and I just finally had to say, God, just turn that off. I, I can't stand that anymore. And both of us were weeping and we were afraid to move. So, uh, you know, whatever happened, God come in the room some way. I can't tell you. I'm just telling you the presence got really strong. I've had that happen a few times in life and, and you understand the fear of the Lord. You know, if, if you've never experienced that, I promise you, you it's a holy place and you, you, you want to live right. And, and anything in you that's not right, you're very aware. That's why Isaiah said, huh, I saw the Lord. And, and the first thing he says, I'm, I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. When you get in that presence, everything you are is immediately exposed. But you know you're so loved and you don't know what to say or do. You kind of, I don't even know how to describe it. See, I'm, I'm searching for words and don't know how. Um, 
I don't know how you make that happen except seek. And one day you'll find. And once you find that, uh, Smith Wigglesworth said, once you get a taste of the presence of God, nothing else in life can ever satisfy. So I've been high on pot. I've been high on drugs. And um, I know how that feels. (laughs) But that is nothing compared to something grabbing you inside. (sighs) And squeezing everything you are and making you know then in all of your undoneness, you're the most loved person in the world. If you ever get that presence on you, you cannot be the same. That enough? If someone have lived a life apart from God and in sin, but asks for forgiveness and repents right before they die, will they still go to heaven? Uh, question, did the thief on the cross go to heaven? Huh? Did he live a good life? Did he go to heaven? Did Jesus say he obviously went? Then, then a person that, that, the question is, the bigger question, a person that sincerely repents, they ran all their life, said, God, I'm a reprobate. It's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. And I, I'm wrong. I've been wrong all my life. Forgive me. If it's from the heart, truly repentant. There is no salvation without repentance. So the bigger question is, can a person do that? Uh, They can, but if you wait all your life, I'm not sure there's a whole lot of people that do that. I think it can happen. I think it can happen. Can happen. But, But, you know, I think it's really risky to do so. I wouldn't risk it myself. All right. Um, last question on here. What do I need to do to get the gifts of the Spirit? Hmm. Uh, number one, be baptized. Number one, be born again. I'm te- doing a teaching on gifts. I'll do the last one. I'm recording next week, this week. So tomorrow I record the very last podcast on gifts of the Spirit. There are nine of them uh, listed, 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10. Um, and uh, so I've gone into detail and talked about all the things necessary to be used by spiritual gift. And then I've classified, categorized, and defined all nine of the gifts given both biblical and current illustrations of those gifts to be used by the Holy Spirit and gifts of the Spirit. Uh, A few things are necessary. Number one, be born again. Secondly, go the next step, be baptized with the Holy Spirit according to Acts 2, verse 4, Acts 8, verse 16, Acts uh, 10, verse 44 through 46, uh, and Acts 19, 1 through 6. All of those passages talk about that. And then after that, um, uh, start praying. Start praying in the Spirit. Spend time with God. Ask God for spiritual gifts to manifest. Love people. Walk in unity. Those things are absolutely essential. The Holy Spirit will not use a person that doesn't love others. The Holy Spirit will not use a divisive person that's always looking for a chip to knock off of somebody's shoulder. That will not happen. He will leave you alone till you straighten up your attitude. So, you know, if you're seeking the Lord, praying and asking to be used, 
then as God wills, some of the spiritual gifts may manifest in your life. Uh, so you may start in your prayer time. My, with me, it started in prayer. I began to uh, prophesy. Prophecy means inspired utterance. So I would be praying and then, man, something's happening here. Whoa, woo-wee, this is easy to pray here. And it comes out with some force and with some clarity. And I was very young when I first prophesied, which again means inspired, inspired by the Holy Spirit words. And you can sense it rising up in you. It feels kind of like a balloon blowing up inside of you. Then the words come out with the express force of the balloon power. <laughs> it's just crazy. Um, and then... Um, and then you can graduate if you do it right and you don't have, and if, if you want people to see how spiritual you are, you will be high and dry without God's presence or spiritual gifts manifesting, okay? But if you don't care about you and you just like that donkey that spoke to the prophet, then you don't care that people see and know anything about you, God just may use you in spiritual gifts. But if you want people to see and know you're real spiritual, forget it, forget it. Does that make sense? Okay. That's the last of our questions. We oh, can wow. take maybe two questions or three from our audience. We just want to stick at that two-minute answer. So okay, I can do that. Wrap up by 10 after. Is that okay? I can do that. Can you do that? I All right, right that. here. Got a question? <laughs> it won't bite you. It's okay. Hold it up to your mouth like a lollipop. There I was we go. raised as a Christian, and I'm born again. Yes. And we, I've always been taught you cannot lose your salvation. Right. Even though, <laughs> even though, you know, when, if you sin again, because you obviously will because we're sinners anyway. Right. And ask forgiveness and repent. So is that true that you cannot lose your salvation once you have been truly saved? I'd say that's the $10 million question. Listen, I've had people leave our church over that question because they didn't understand what was being said. And uh, through the church age, that's probably the most difficult question to answer. There are as many scriptures in the New Testament for eternal security as there are that challenge it. So my encouragement is go right down the middle of the road, walk with God, and don't, and don't try to mess up. Uh, so there's all kinds of questions I could ask, and um, it would kind of muddy up the water. Go to Matthew 7 and look at what Jesus said. Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Those are very challenging words. So let me try to summarize. You know, if you're really born again and you love Jesus, one sin is not going to keep you out of heaven. You just need to repent when you sin. How many understand that? Um, the problem with sin is um, it hardens the human heart. And you can get to the point that you don't care about spiritual things, and then you, and and then you just think the grace of God is there for everything you do. It doesn't matter what you do. And a person who once walked closer to the Lord, if they entertain sin without repenting, that's why Hebrews three thirteen was written uh, that we're not deceived through the deceitfulness of sin. So you want to be really careful with sin in life. So, you know, I've done 77 or 78 funerals in my life. And there's a few been laying there. I'm not sure where they went. 
I didn't preach them into heaven. But nobody knew what I was thinking because that family's grieving. You get that? And, you know, only God knows, doesn't he? Is that true? So I want to say this in a way you understand. Hebrews 6 is very clear. It's possible for those who were once enlightened and tasted of the heavenly gift and made partakers of the Holy Ghost and partook of the powers of the age to come and the meat of the word of God, if they fall away to renew themselves unto repentance, seeing they crucify themselves to the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. Now, if you read commentaries, the commentary writers say that um, the Hebrew Christians, that is the Jews who were converted, uh, were under great pressure from their peers uh, to come back into Judaism and leave the Christian faith and go back into 100% Judaism and renounce Jesus as Messiah. And the commentators will say those that did that recanted their faith and they can't be saved. Then there are those on the other side that say, well, they never would save to start with. Well, go read the verbiage, uh, Hebrews 6, 1 through 6, and make your own determination. I'll just tell you a story and maybe, and so I'm trying to leave an idea that the person it's talking about there wasn't a casual believer, uh, wasn't a baby believer. That was a very mature believer who had really got into God. Somebody, you know, I don't even want to think that I'm even mature, but I've been in the Lord a long time. And I have tasted of the heavenly gift. And I've been made a partaker of the Holy Ghost. And I've tasted the powers of the world to come. And I've tasted the meat of the word. If I was to follow away and say, Jesus ain't Lord, can I go to heaven? Uh, you make that, you make the choice. You got to figure that out. I'm never planning to do that because I'm not going to stick my toe in sin. You get what I'm saying? One illustration as we conclude this subject is, um, now this is very shocking. Kenneth Hagin uh, was widely respected in his day. He died in 2003 at aged 86. Uh, but um, uh, he had a prophet's ministry and, and literally Jesus appeared to him eight times in the 1950s and he recorded that in a book written in 1975 called I Believe in Visions and he recants all those experiences of, of Jesus talking to him personally. And if you ever were around him in that a ministry of the prophet manifest, it was quite unusual and you felt that is all I can say. So anyway, he had an experience uh, where he was in a pastor's home and, um, and the pastor, you know, it was the pastor's wife had left him and, and he was raising his child and the pastor's wife had actually left and was, and, uh, was, uh, and was living with another man and she wasn't married to him. And Brother Hagin, while he was in that pastor's home, he saw, and he told this several times while I was there in person, and, uh, and you can read this in his books, and if you have any of his, you can see his videos and see some of this too. But um, uh, make a long story short, he saw this woman in vision form. That is, he had the word of knowledge, and he saw what happened to this woman. And, um, and so he's praying with the pastor, suddenly he sees he sees what his wife has done. The pastor was just brokenhearted. In fact, uh, the lady was actually saying that she was going to slander him and tear his church apart. She was that full of the devil. So Jesus showed him this woman in vision form. He saw the woman in his mind, 
And uh, this uh, pastor's wife was a well-known Christian singing artist of her day. This is probably in the 40s and 50s. She could say, and she was beautiful. In fact, uh, Kenneth Hagin said, she's the kind of woman that when you looked at her, you just, because you don't usually see somebody that exquisitely just beautiful. She was that way. And she had a really almost perfect voice. So she was an accomplished singer. Besides that, she was very beautiful. And she uh, was the pastor's wife. And in the vision, Brother Hagin said, um, a dot appeared one day on her shoulder. And it was a demonic spirit. And he saw it whispering into her ear, you're a beautiful woman. In the world, you could have fame. You could have fortune. You could have lots of money. You're deprived in life by just being a pastor's wife. When it first came, Brother Hagin said, she she, she just cast that thought aside and said, no, get away from me. No, I'm not thinking that way. But it, by and by, he said it kept coming back. There's a little dot on her shoulder. It kept speaking that same thing. You're a beautiful woman. You have a beautiful voice. In the world, you could have fame, fortune, popularity, and success. You're being deprived of being a pastor's wife. And it kept saying the same thing in rote over and over, week after week after week after week, until finally she yielded. And Brother Hagin said, if she had resisted that continually, it would have left. But she began to entertain it. Well, I am deprived. Well, I am beautiful. Well, I could make some money. And he said he saw that thing go from her shoulder right down inside of her and that little dot dropped right down inside. She was obsessed with the thinking to begin with. She could have resisted it. It got in her head, then got right down inside of her. And she didn't, and she left God, left her husband, uh, lived with several men. And uh, the man she was living with at the time he saw this vision um, uh, was not the first one, as one of many. Anyway, uh, she he saw in in the vision. Brother Hagen saw. I know I'm taking a little bit long, but let me finish it. In the vision, he saw the um, the pastor come up to the woman's house because she was making outlandish statements about him in the church and was trying to defeat. I mean, just mess up the whole ministry and such, and and make outlandish statements and have them published. And he knocked on the door. When he came to the door, um. She opened the door. She had a negligee on. There was another man in the house. And, it, and she had no underclothing or anything, and it was open in the front, and there she was. And she looked at him and said, what you want? And, uh, and then she said, and I'm going to say what she said. As far as Jesus Christ is concerned, to hell with him. C- can you go to heaven and say that? Now, see, people on one side would say, well, she was never saved. Well, you got to figure all that out. You see what I'm saying? To begin with, I'm just saying she walked with God. She entertained the wrong thoughts. And then to conclude this, Brother Hagin saw in a vision, Jesus was in front of him saying, I want to show you something. He pulled a curtain. Brother Hagin looked, and there was the woman in the flames of hell. And Jesus said to him, don't pray for her anymore. She'll spend eternity in the lake of fire because she made her decision. So I'm not an advocate and I don't preach in such a way to scare people. Because, you know, most people, let's just, can I be, most of us just ain't there. 
you know, we're just barely trying to walk with God. You know, rare is the person uh, who is really spiritually astute, mature, has walked with God to the degree that Hebrews 6 mentions. This lady had done that. Spiritual gifts had operated in her life. She knew the word of God, knew exactly what she was doing, and that in light of complete knowledge, she chose to walk away, and it cost her. So, you know, you may not agree with what I just said, and maybe you think that's hogwash. I'm okay if you think that way. Go seek God about it. But I'm going to tell you what that does for me. It scares any hell in me out. I want to walk with God. I don't want to get to the point that I've hardened my heart to where I don't care about the Lord. Does that make sense? Now, let me give you my experience. I've had many people that I've known who have walked with God, whether they're in my church, and I've you know been in this church since 1994, or previous to this. Uh, I've had Bible school friends, friends that I've known, friends in other churches um, who walked strongly with God but got involved in something Hardened their heart and no longer walking with God. Are they going to heaven? Well, I hope so. I hope God just had great mercy on them. And I think regardless of who we are, that if we mess up and fess up, God will forgive and cleanse you. Does that make sense? So I don't want you to take what I just said and be afraid you're going to lose your salvation. I don't think that's the way it is at all. How many hear what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Balance all this stuff out, y'all. You hear what I'm saying? So, so don't go from here saying, Pastor Mitch thinks you're going to lose your salvation. No, no, no. I, th- I think it's really hard to do. But I think you better not mess with sin. There are too many admonitions in the New Testament for us to keep ourselves, to watch ourselves, to guard ourselves, to check up on ourselves, to not think that we could actually put ourselves in danger of walking away from the Savior who shed his blood to set us free. So, Lord, I just pray. I just pray. Let not one of us have an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God, regardless of uh, how people treat us. Maybe a pastor's hurt us. Maybe a, a, a friend has hurt us. Maybe people have walked away from us and we're tired of life. And we've become cynical and crass and hard. Lord, I pray for any person that's listening to this, that's in the room or online or someday in the future. I pray that the Spirit of God would grab a hold of that person's heart and begin to draw them back in the name of Jesus. May not one person in this room go to hell. May they go to heaven. May every person that listens to this that just happened to hear it, see it on Facebook or YouTube or we're on our website. May not one person that hears this go to hell. I pray that you give us a tender heart towards you. And Lord, may we be repulsed by our own flesh and our own thoughts and our own self-centered thinking sometimes. Let your grace be on us, Lord. Help me, help me to be an example and not miss it in any way. Could you just lift your hands to him? He just wants to love you. If you've messed up and you're hurting your own self, you're upset with yourself, God's got a lot of mercy. He's got a lot of grace. He errs on the side of mercy. Stop getting on yourself. Ask God to help you. Lord, all of us at times say and do things we're ashamed of.
Let your grace wipe those things away. Let your mercy cleanse us from those things. And let us walk with you. If we stumble, lift us up. A righteous man falls seven times and rises up again. Let that happen in every life, son. Thank you.